We're going to read now uh, from uh, Luke's Gospel, and we're starting a new series. Uh, we've, I think we've kind of started it, but um, we have the flyers out this week. Uh, when the end is the beginning, and it starts at the end of Luke's Gospel, um, and then moves into the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote. Um, so it's an interesting section of the Bible. And we're going to be reading today from Luke chapter 22, um, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verses 39 to 54. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas... Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this experience. We thank you for this uh, record uh, of your words and uh, of, your, of what happened And we pray, Lord, that you would speak uh, this morning as Tim shares with us uh, deep into our hearts uh, and bring um, hope and promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father Mackenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Ah, look at all the lonely people. So said the Beatles in their 1966 hit, Eleanor Rigby. It was a startling song then, I gather. And the story that it talked about... (laughs) Touche. The story that it talked about 50 years ago is arguably more relevant today. The story of an unknown woman, Eleanor, and her loneliness and the loneliness of those around her who came and went through the church and beyond. We live in a society in which there are growing concerns about the levels of loneliness and isolation in our society. With more and more people living alone, greater busyness in our lives, less time for each other, more demands from our work, greater tension in our relationships. 
it seems that the burden of loneliness is growing and growing. Indeed, you may have seen last year the BBC did a documentary in which they defined our age as the age of loneliness. And the research is startling. For older people, research shows that loneliness is twice as bad for your health as obesity and almost as great a cause of death as poverty. Two-fifths of older people state that television is their main source of company in their life. Research tells us that loneliness increases the risk of early death by 26%. For young people, in general, according to the research, the younger you are, the more likely you are to feel lonely, often. And the more likely to have felt depressed because you felt alone, the younger you are. More people in the 18s to 30s age bracket report worrying about feeling lonely than anyone else in society. And for all of us, less than a quarter of us feel that we've never felt lonely and more than a third of us uh, have been properly depressed because of feeling lonely. In fact, in 2014, a survey by the National Office of Statistics revealed, and I quote, that Britain is the loneliness capital of Europe. We are less likely to know our neighbours, less likely to have strong friendships than anyone else in Europe. And in fact, we have less people to turn to in crisis than our European neighbours. Perhaps that's why we've chosen to go alone. Who knows? <coughs> you can come and debate that with me afterwards if you like. <laughs> now, it's important to define what we're talking about here. Because one recent survey called The Lonely Society by the Mental Health Foundation helpfully defined loneliness in this way. Loneliness is not being alone, but it's an experience of isolation. This is crucial. Because I would guess that if we were brave enough to put our hands up if we were lonely at the moment, we would be surprised at who put our hands up. Because it's not to do with circumstances, but it's rather about an experience of isolation. It's not being alone. It's being feeling isolated. So we may be single, and we just wish we weren't. We may be married, and we might feel more alone in that marriage than anyone else realizes. We may feel isolated in our jobs, where no one understands the sense of disillusionment or fear that we're going through. Or we may be experiencing difficulties in our life, health difficulties, emotional difficulties, where we feel so alone even though we're surrounded by people. Chances are, whether we were, say we're experiencing loneliness right now, many of us at some point will know the painful isolation of being lonely. Or as Mother Teresa put it, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. Loneliness hurts profoundly and deeply, doesn't it? 
Well, today, as we continue our series, we're looking at the end of Luke's gospel and the beginning of Acts and how the end of Jesus' life when he dies and then shatters through death is the beginning of the birth of the church and everything changes. But the same can be true in our lives when the end of things can sometimes be the beginning of things. And today we're thinking the build-up to Jesus' death where he was profoundly alone. And the reason why it's so helpful is a verse in the New Testament later on, we hear these words about Jesus. This high priest of ours, talking about Jesus, understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same tests we do, yet he didn't sin. Jesus knows our experiences. He knows what we're going through. It is not some theoretical thing to God. And unlike any worldview, any religious system, at the very heart of Christianity is not some distant God or not a set of doctrines. If you just do this, your life will be better or you'll be more acceptable. No, at the heart of the Christian message is the reality that God has come close. That he knows, he experiences, he understands what you and I are going through, even in our loneliness. He stepped into this broken, frail humanity experiencing the same sense of isolation and loss that we do. And therefore, in the same breath, shows us that we are never, never, never alone. And in the passage uh, that we read together, there are five brief experiences that Jesus has, which shows us that we are never alone. And the first is this. Friends, We're never alone in struggling with prayer. My experience, and maybe yours too, is that there can be few things more isolating than being in a room in which people have experienced great answers to prayer and we haven't. I remember a number of years ago being in a room where a tragedy had happened in the the previous days. And it was one of those times where people were invited to share what God had been doing in their lives uh, uh, and things like that. And this tragedy had happened and, and one, one girl basically shared how she uh, needed, in the, the day before, needed to catch a flight somewhere. And the bad weather was closing in and there was fog and she was worried that she'd miss her appointment. And so she prayed that God would help this not to happen and the flight would arrive in time so she could make her meeting and so on. Well, what happened was the fog lifted, the flight took off, she made her appointment, all was good. I can remember being sat in that room and experiencing this disorientating reality of combining an apparently trivial answer to prayer in the face of real tragedy. And my guess is there are people here right now that know that. You have prayed for years for something, even to the point of the tears drying up because you've got nothing left. And to be honest, you're not sure what God's doing because you've prayed and prayed and prayed your heart out. 
Well, listen to these words from verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. His disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you won't fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Here, we have Jesus himself not getting what he prayed for. Take this cup from me. How wonderful it is to hear that. That Jesus himself knows what it is to have a desire for something and to pray that it would happen and it doesn't. How good that is. And it's not just a prayer, is it? Verse 44, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That word anguish in the original is more agony. This is deep pain. And yet, and yet, and yet. It shows us, doesn't it, that the reality is prayer is more than getting what we want, getting what we ask for. It was a joy on Friday night that for those that were able to be there, we had our half night of prayer. How fantastic it was to gather together with each other, pouring our hearts out as one body, one community, one family. Great thing. And yet in Jesus here, we have the example of what prayer really is, isn't it? The reason it's so good to pray together is because prayer is not about getting stuff. Listen again, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Prayer is more about a relationship with God than our rights from God. And so in that moment when we hear Jesus not getting what he prays for, apart from God's will being done, we realize that we are not alone, ever and so for you, if you are experiencing this prayer that you've prayed for decades, know that Jesus says, I know. I know. You're not alone. It's the first thing. The second is this. We are never alone in suffering alone. Never. I wonder if the name Yvette Vickers means anything to you. I won't ask for a show of hands of this one. Yvette Vickers was a famous actress in the 50s. She starred in such movie classics as Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, a famous B-movie. I've not seen it. I won't ask again, but come and see. I'd love to be interested to know what it's like. Uh, in which, uh, yeah, she was a famous B-movie actress. In 2011, a, a, a woman called Susan Savage, who was Yvette Vickers' neighbor, realized that the letters in her, Yvette Vickers' mailbox were beginning to yellow with age. Cobwebs were beginning to build up in the doorway to her house. So she went over and went in, uh, and Yvette Vickers had been dead over a year. The tragedy in amongst that was that the letterbox was jammed full of fan mail. She was adored all around the world and yet loved by none. No one really knew her. No one really cared that she hadn't been missed for a year. Suffering alone. 
and it's a very painful experience, isn't it? For some, I would guess in the room right now, you are going through stuff or you've been through stuff recently and you feel so alone, even though you may not be physically alone. When life really hurts and rams hard and you feel just on your own, isolated in the middle of the night where darkness is all around and you pour your heart out and it just seems silent and empty and you feel alone. Well, listen to these words. Verse 44. Being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep. Here is Jesus with those close to him, deeply in agony, and yet those supposed to be with him to support him are asleep. Of course, they're sad. They're not sure what's going on. But in that moment, we realize that we are not alone because Jesus gets that. Jesus knows that isolation, that sense of being abandoned, that sense of being in the middle of people and yet no one with you. And of course, cast your mind forwards to the cross where Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, you are never alone. Never. So Jesus experiences what it's like struggling with prayer, what it's like to feel though we're suffering alone. But thirdly, this. Jesus shows us that we're never alone in not being understood. Now, it can be a really isolating experience, can't it? When people don't understand what's happening or, or, or you're misunderstood, so for example you might be at work and you're really trying to bring change forwards and you know it's for good but nobody else gets what you're on about as a result you're kind of attacked a little bit or people joke or you just don't feel supported and you feel so alone because people don't understand what you're driving at or, or in a relationship and, and you maybe suggest some changes to your relationship and it causes nothing but hassle and you're trying to introduce good but you feel so misunderstood or in your family or in friendship where we're trying to do things but people don't understand what's going on. You feel so alone. Well, look at verse 49. As Jesus is arrested, he got these Judas turns up and the, the army and the soldiers and all of that. Verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? One of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Jesus saying, you've been with me. We're not doing this. You don't get it. We're going a different path. He's on his own, even though he's surrounded by people. He's misunderstood what's happening. So Jesus shows us that we're never alone in not being understood. He has been through that. He knows. He gets it. The fourth thing is this. So not only does Jesus show us that we're not alone in, in struggling with prayer, not only does Jesus show us that we're not alone in feelings that we're suffering on our own, not only does Jesus show us that we're not alone in being misunderstood, but Jesus shows us that we're never alone in being rejected by those closest to us. I would guess 
that right now, some of us have experienced the deepest of wounds. When those closest to us, those we've invited into the real depths of our lives, to our inner core, have rejected, abandoned, ridiculed, turned their backs on us. And the pain cuts deep. Even if it happened decades ago, it's still a wound as though it happened yesterday. And so when we come to this little moment where Jesus is taken away and the one, Peter, follows him, the bold one, the strong one, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm devoted to your cause, even if everyone else turns away, not me. And we read these horrible words. Seizing Jesus, they led him away, took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. When some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him, said, you're one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. And an hour later, certainly this fellow was with him. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Peter, the one that promised, now says, I don't even know him. Jesus knows what it is like to be rejected, abandoned, left behind by those so close to us. Like, hear, like being involved in an accident and hearing the ambulance siren and then the deep sinking feeling when we realize the ambulance is going somewhere else. Jesus knows. He knows your pain. He knows. He has experienced it. He has been there. And of course that shows us we aren't ever alone <coughs> in being rejected even by those closest to us. Fifthly, and finally then, Jesus' experience here shows us that we're never alone in being publicly shamed. There's a particular pain to being on our own publicly. Maybe in a work environment, in a family environment, where we're sort of publicly shamed. I remember an experience a number of years ago now I just left university, so it was quite a number of years ago. <laughs> I just left university and I was in my first job after university. Uh, and the company I was working for had two main offices and I traveled in my job between them both. And it was back in the days when video conferencing was very cool and all the new thing. You know, where you're sat in a room and you're speaking to your team that are in another part of the country and there's a delay of a few seconds. And so you say something and people don't acknowledge it and then a few seconds later they acknowledge it. It was one of those meetings. Uh, what had been happening is that in my job, I'd given, been given this task to do. And to be honest, I didn't know how to do it. And so what happened is every time we had our team meetings, you know, you go through your list of actions and this one hadn't been done. And so I would be so initially sort of saying, well, you know, I haven't got to it yet. Sorry, it's been so busy. The next week I would say, you know, I was trying to speak to so-and-so. I haven't quite got round yet. The next week I might say oh, they were away, so I've not heard back from them and so on and so on and so on. It went by months. Until one day in a video conference meeting with my boss in Uxbridge and me in Gloucester, 
She challenged me face to face in this room with all the rest of the team saying, Tim, we've been doing this for months. Why haven't you done this? And my reaction was both embarrassing, but also quite odd in a video conference environment as I erupted into tears. Because for finally somebody had found me out that I had no idea how to do this. I felt so ashamed and also a little bit odd because you erupt into tears and then no one does anything for three seconds until they suddenly realize what's happening at the end of the Being publicly shamed has a unique isolation to it because it's not private, everybody. Which is why through Twitter and Facebook and so on, it is so painful for anyone that knows they've had comments against them. We'll hear the words then about Jesus. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demand, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him in public. That's why it was so beautiful to hear Greg's story earlier, where he boldly admitted to that moment in his life where he was hiding something from the person closest to him and yet he had to go public on it and the deep shame, the deep sense of isolation and I'm guessing some of us in the room know that or if we're honest there are some people in this room who are terrified right now that you're going to be found out. Jesus was publicly shamed, even to the point of being stripped naked and nailed in front of people laughing at him. So that on the cross, he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, in that breath, friends, we realize that he understands. Even if that thing goes public, Jesus knows. He's been there. The most public of shamings. And so friends, you are never, ever alone. If the Christian message was just about trying your best to be better, or if it was just about some distant, unmoved mover, that would be no comfort. And yet here we have God himself stepping into our brokenness to draw alongside us in our loneliness so that we realize we are never, ever, ever alone. That's good news. That makes us realize that our experiences are not unique. Jesus himself knows. And so as we come to the end, Friends, we're never alone. So we're going to come to a time of response. And my guess is there are many of us who long to know Jesus' closeness to us uh, as we respond together. And I'd love to encourage you, use the opportunity to have somebody pray with you that you would know God's presence close with you. The one who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Let's pray together. Father, we, we tremble at how much you went through for us. And Lord, yet we're so thankful 
that you get it, you know, and therefore we realize we are never, ever alone. Lord, may we in our brokenness know something of the comfort of that, we pray, and then extend that comfort to those around us, we ask. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus. Amen.